0: Welcome to the Elite Executive Podcast, your number one resource for all things executive health, so you can thrive at the office, at home, and in the gym. It's my mission to educate you on how to sleep better, stress less, and maximize your productivity by taking control of your health. I'm your host, Oren McCurry. Let's start your journey to optimal performance right now. Enjoy the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, guys, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to today's episode of the Elite Executive Podcast. I am your host, as always, Ora Macquarie, and I'd like to welcome you to today's show, where we're going to be covering pillar number two in my performance framework for executive clients, and that's going to be stress. And it's number two for a reason. Well, I should say more so that sleep is number one for a reason, in the sense that if we get you sleeping more, you're probably going to have lower stress, You're probably going to have more energy to train and you're probably going to have less cravings and less um, hunger signaling versus whenever you're tired. So sleep is number one in terms of it actually filters downstream to all the other areas as part of the the framework that we use. Now, stress is next on the list. And obviously, the executive lifestyle is one of high stress. There's lots of travel. There's lots of eating out and drinking for work-related Purposes, whether that's whining and dining your current staff, or whether it's whining and dining to win um, new deals and and get things over the line, or whether it's whining and dining to get a whole new job, you know, whenever you're going for the job interview process, yeah. a lot of the time you'll be taken out and you'll be um you'll be assessed as part of your suitability for the role as um how you interact with with people, right? And executives are generally pushing the envelope on their career hard um obviously to advance status personal gain um, financial gain and obviously company profits once you're actually in and leading the company you're going to be pushing your career hard to drive the company to a very profitable place not to mention things that might happen along the way like you know hostile takeovers and different things which aren't happening every single day but whenever they do happen it would be um extremely stressful so to summarize, executives are low on time, high in stress, and their, their life is full of hurdles to conquer every single day. So what can we do about that? Well, we can focus on the principles and the pillars that I'm listing through here to improve our health and longevity. You know, I want you to think about scoring yourself out of one to 10 for your sleep currently, your stress, your training, and your nutrition. Now, on that scale, one is considered low and poor a poor score. And 10 is considered optimal. So optimal stress would be a 10. You know, it's not where 10 is um, is really high stress. Um, low stress is a 10 out of 10, okay? So take a second and score yourself just in your brain as you're listening to this. How's your sleep on a scale of one to 10? 10, 10 being optimal. How's your stress on a scale of one to 10? 10, 10 being optimal. How's your training currently? And not just training as you do in the gym, but the amount you move during the day. Are you desk all day, go to the gym for an hour and think that's going to cut it? Are you hitting your step targets? How's your strength overall? How's your, your VO2 max? All these different uh, things. Scale, score that for me on a scale of one to 10. And with your food that you put in your body, is there any real plan to it now? Is it is it quality food? Is it eating on the go and, and winging it? Score yourself one out of 10. And I get every executive to do that whenever they come in to my system and normally people are somewhere between 40 and 70 where 70 is a really good score for a lot of people and to be honest anyone who tells me they are seven eights nines out of tens for all of those areas I'm going to call bullshit because you would have to have all your shit together and all your ducks in a row consistently for a long period of time for them all to be perfect at the same time you know you'd have to be doing this for a long time to do that. So there's normally one of those that, that is out, but the average person is coming to me around forty, fifty, sixty percent. Now, why do we look at um stress and sleep as the two main drivers? So this is an analogy that I got from one of my colleagues in the industry, another executive health coach called Wade Foster, and Wade's actually been cherry-picked as the first guest on my podcast for a reason. Uh, we we both get along very well. We share a lot of similar thoughts, but he once told me this uh, factor worker analogy, which I use all the time, and yeah, it would be uh, remiss of me not to actually quote him as the one who told me it, obviously, right? Give credit where credit's due. So It it doesn't matter how sexy the training and nutrition are. You know, most people come to us as executive health coaches for the training plan for the nutrition plan to improve their health, to improve their body and to kick some health goals. And to be honest, a lot of people who come to us also currently have a personal trainer and that personal trainer might be a genius. They might be the most skilled trainer that you've ever accomplished, uh, ever uh, encountered. Sorry, but this only works if we address the system as a whole and, the way we'd explained it to me is that training and nutrition are the factory workers. They're in there, they've got their hard hats on, and they are doing the work, okay? S- stress and sleep are the gatekeepers. So no matter how good the workers are that are going into the factory to put up the walls to do the work uh, with the hard hats on, they're going to turn up for work in the morning. And if stress and sleep aren't there in a good spot to open the gates for them, it's not going to do any good, okay? And working as a whole, where we look at the stress and the sleep alongside the training and the nutrition, alongside a pillar that I put into my framework as well, which is time management, we increase the chances of getting a positive ROI for the time and energy you're putting into your fitness goals and daily action, all right? Now, I'm going to ask you a question here, and I want you to take a second to think about it. What is your time worth? So, if we we're going to sit down for an hour right now, or if you break down your hourly rate for what your your pay packet is at the end of end of the month, what is your time worth? What does an hour of your time cost? Take a second and think of that. And alongside that, I want you to ask the question: Are you in better shape now, right now, listening to this, versus one year ago? And the reason why I want these two numbers is because when we talk about this holistic approach, we need to, to give you a, a return on the investment, right? And let's use a round number here just for easy maths, okay? Let's say it's $100 per hour that you, you earn. Now, obviously, a lot of executives listening to this, don't be offended by that. I know your time is probably worth a lot more. It's probably closer to $500 to maybe a $1,000 per hour, right? But $100 is just a nice, easy number to work with. So if you work out five hours per week, and your time is worth $100 per hour, but you're not in a better spot than you were 12 months ago, you are wasting $26,000 of your time and energy where you could have been billing people. But instead of that, you're going to the gym to do something that isn't giving you a return on investment or it's giving you a low return on investment versus what you hoped. Basically, you're putting all this time in the gym, but it's not getting you where you want to go. And if you were billing for that, based on even just $100 per hour, you're wasting $26,000 of your own money with that. Okay? And obviously, if you're earning $1,000 per hour, then you're talking a quarter of a million that you could have been billing people in the time that you're spending in the gym, getting a low or no return on investment. So that's why we need to look at everything as a whole here. And that's why every individual little bit Of these pillars matters okay it's not just training and nutrition it's not now let's get into stress now there's different types of stress okay there is eustress which is described as good stress so this is what we manage day to day okay exercise is a, a positive stressor on the body a presentation at work i presented a sleep talk to a company yesterday was i under stress yes I got that adrenaline dump. I probably got a good good uh, bit of cortisol. I was probably a little bit shaky for the first five or 10 minutes while it got me in that zone. And then I relaxed a bit. Okay. It's positive stress because it, it's stuff that we can manage. Now, we also look at acute stress. So acute stress is things that don't happen a lot. It's not there all the time. For example, you're driving along, minding your own business, just trying to get to work or trying to get home and a car cuts you off. Okay. Okay or somebody honks their horn really aggressively at you because they don't agree with something you did in traffic. Emails might cause an issue that's acute, right? You might say, oh, for fuck's sake, like what, what's that all about, you know? Issues with a colleague or with your spouse, you know, you have an argument with your wife, your husband, your your sister, your brother, um, somebody at work. These are short-term stressors, which yes, they'll cause stress, but likely they're it's not going to be chronic stress, okay? Now, chronic stress is things like debts, things that are always on your mind, like living through a drawn out divorce or separation where you're literally, you know, it's it's always there. You're not divorced yet. You're not separated yet. And you're just living through it. That's a big stressor. Getting stressed by your boss, or your colleagues, certain people who are causing you high amounts of stress every single day. That's chronic or like I mentioned earlier, a hostile takeover, a long-term business deal that you're trying to get over the line, but you're just waiting on that being agreed. These are all chronic stressors. And one of the smartest people that I know in the whole fitness industry is a guy called Luke Lehman. He has a fantastic company called Muscle Nerds, and he teaches trainers. And on one of our one-to-one mentoring calls, we were talking about stress, and he said that he believes that all disease in the body can be linked back to stress in some sort of way. So he says that everything that can go wrong with the body basically can eventually be linked back to some, for, so, some sort of stress. And to be fair, now, he didn't say the exact mechanisms because that, that would be completely unknown. If we knew that, we could probably fix a lot of things. But his, his theory is that stress can be linked back to every single disease in the body in some way. Okay? That's huge. Now, what happens when we are stressed? So basically, stress affects our nervous system. So the nervous system, we're going to talk about the autonomic nervous system. And that's made up of two branches, okay? We've got the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So the sympathetic is your fight or flight mode. So let, let's say, for example, talking about the traffic thing, okay? So that's, um, that's your acute stressor that um, somebody cuts you off in traffic, starts honking the horn at you. Um, because they disagree with something that you did or or maybe you cut them off or whatever it is and they pull up and they get out of their car and they start to bang on your windscreen that's going to put you into fight or flight mode okay that's going to get you ready to either speed away as fast as you can or it's going to cause you to open your door and start to throw punches right (laughs) it's that fight or flight mode now parasympathetic is our rest and digest mode so this is where we want to be most of the time another common um like uh, analogy for that is um analogy is not the right word i can't think of the right word but another uh, common way to describe that is our our feed and breed so rest and digest are our feed and breed okay so we want to be in this for the majority of the day now with stress we need to look at cortisol and cortisol is often demonized but we need it to function right Um, basically like when your alarm goes off in the morning, say, if you wake at 5am, like I do, um, we need to have cortisol in our body to get us up and get us moving. We can't completely eradicate ourselves of cortisol or we wouldn't function at our best, but what we don't want to have is huge dumps of it into our system consistently throughout the day. Now, if you're in a chronically stressed state within your body, Certain things may happen which may affect your mood, energy, and physique. Like I said, we need cortisol to move, but we don't need it in large batches all day long. Now, it may affect your mood, energy, and physique. It can cause issues with sleep and an inability to switch off at night. How many of us has have experienced that where we're we're working on a deadline or a big deal, or you know, we've had a we've had a huge bust up with our partners and we go to bed at night. We still haven't fixed it, and, you know, apologize for for the the argument. And it's on our mind, and we can't sleep, okay? That's the stress that's doing that, okay? Things can uh, affect testosterone, for example, like with cortisol, um which may affect losing fat, building muscle. Obviously, if sleep is affected by stress, it's going to be very hard for you to lose fat and build muscle because that is that is when we do lose fat and build muscle when we sleep, okay? So cortisol, we need it, but it's it's not our enemy. We need it, but we want to have it in the right amounts so and we don't want to have it dumping in through the day. Now, in terms of stress and life expectancy, stress has a definite impact on life expectancy. When we look at a study done by the Harvard Business Review or Business School, they looked back retroactively at workers from General Electric in the 1930s and basically they studied everyone and they worked out who had risen through the ranks of General Electric to the higher uh, higher spots so the C suite the, the managers the the pretty pretty high spots okay and People who had risen to the higher position died two to three years younger than lower level counterparts. Now, this was obviously tracking huge amounts of data of where they got to in the company, how they died, when they died. Um, It's a pretty big study to be fair. And they put it down to the executive lifestyle, high stress, lots of travel, you know, the potential for hostile takeovers and, you know, um, lots of stuff that can go wrong versus when you're at a lower level. So the finding of this this study and this review was that stress from an executive lifestyle can cause you to die two to three years younger than lower level counterparts. Now that doesn't seem fair, does it? Just think about that. You work your ass off all your life, and you die younger than if you had to just stay at a lower job. All right. Now obviously there there is benefits in terms of financial gain and that but you know when you ask people on their deathbeds would you rather have the the wealth or the health I think everyone would would pick the health of course now sometimes we don't feel stressed this is due to our body's ability to adapt to it for example i was probably having cortisol and adrenaline dumped through my body for the entire presentation i did yesterday to a local company here on how to optimize their staff sleep right so I was probably feeling that the whole way through, but after maybe 10 or 15 minutes, you relax into the role, right? It's not the same. 40 minutes in is not the same as four minutes in. Okay. When you start a brand new new job or you change roles, or you know, any of these high stress scenarios, we're gonna feel stressed. We're gonna feel like, oh, right, we're out of our depth. And we probably need to feel that to perform at our best. But after a while, you get used to the day-to-day and the body adapts to it. It might be the same level of stress. But you don't feel it as much because the body knows what it's doing and it's handling that amount of stress. Like if you're running, for example, if you're the CEO of a huge construction company, you're going to have the same stress on day 101 as you did as on day one of you going into that CEO role. You're going to have the same task. Everything's going to be um everything's going to be the same in terms of your daily, daily to-do list, but you're just going to Handle it better, and you're going to feel less stress as a result. Okay, so when executives tell me that they're not stressed or they manage it pretty well, um, we need to we need to take that with a pinch of salt. Okay, and sometimes um, one of my executive clients um, I'm I'm probably going to have him on the podcast. I'm not going to name him right now, but you know, when we look at his HRV, which I'll explain more in in a minute, his HRV score is indicating, and obviously this is personal, but it's indicating from what I can see that he, his body is always in a sort of fight or flight mode. Now, this this man, he's he's an absolutely incredible guy. Um, he's one of my favorite clients. We talk every week, and he's so chilled out. He's like me. He's very, very chilled. You wouldn't know that um, stress affects him in any sort of way. But when we look at the data, there might be something going on, which is keeping his body in a sympathetic state, right? So whenever any executive tells me they don't feel stressed, I take it with a pinch of salt. Now, step one to reducing stress is to track it. You know, what gets measured gets managed, and I think I've got this quote before from uh, Craig Ballantyne. But data drives decisions. Okay, so once we know the data, we can actually work to to manage it. Okay, and it's like sleep. We can't just take it as gospel that you aren't stressed or that you're coping very well with it. You know. Um, a lot of people say, yeah, sleep pretty well. And when we look at their stats, they're they're not getting enough deep sleep, they're not getting enough REM sleep, and they're overtired. So you might be okay most of the time in terms of your stress, but all it takes is something small to break the camel's back. And we want to avoid that. You know, I've been in that scenario where I've been in relatively acute levels of stress for long periods of time. And then my kids will do something or somebody will say something, and you just snap. And it's not that you you want to snap or you're a bad person for it, but it's just literally that straw that breaks a camel's back. So while you may not feel stressed now, it might just be building and this stress is compounded on top of your back until literally that one straw is going to break the back. And the data will tell us the full picture. Without data, we're just going off a hunch, a feeling, I guess, a thought for that moment. And how many people do you know who have seemed like the picture of health, like they're they're really healthy, they don't have really any major issues, and then suddenly they have a heart attack or suffer a stroke? and you thought they were managing things pretty well but then all of a sudden something like this happens right so we can't take how somebody looks and how they're reporting as gospel right and you know to tell you a funny story so since since covid i guess you know everyone wants to work online now i'm lucky that i've had my business online for next year will be my 10th year working with people online we've currently got clients in 12 different countries but you know a lot of people now have realized that there is space where they can work from home and they can do things. So um, a lot of people are inboxing me on Instagram and they're offering to create viral content for me, which is going to, pro- their promise is going to blow up my content. Uh, so I can go from, I think I've got about four and a half, five thousand followers on Instagram that can get me to 40, 50, you know, a hundred thousand followers from just hiring these guys to do their videos, to do my videos, sorry. And they're gonna earn me so much money. They promise it, they promise it. But whenever I click into their page, they've only got about two, 300 followers. Their content isn't that good. So if I was to take them on their word, they're telling me they can do this. They're telling me they can do this. It seems like a no brainer, right? But sometimes you've gotta actually look at the data. What's it saying? It's telling me that their content, their own content isn't great. They might be good at making content, but it's not created a 100,000 followers for them. So why would I expect to do it for me? And it's the same thing with your your data here, right? We want to actually look at the data rather than just um, relying on how you feel, right? Now, how do we track the data? There's a couple of ways. We can do something like a blood test, which is going to measure the amount of cortisol in your blood. We can also do a urine test called a Dutch test. And the Dutch gives a breakdown of the cortisol metabolism it can show if you're overdriving cortisol production or you're not making enough of it, basically. OK, so that's two ways to do it. You know, blood test is relatively invasive. But if you're going for a medical with your doctor, um, you probably want to be looking at it. And a lot of a lot of people will go for a yearly medical, yearly physical. And they want to, you know, whether that's part of their health insurance or whatever, you, you want to make sure that they're probably tracking that. But what can we track every day? We can now track a metric called heart rate variability, okay? Heart rate variability, which I'm going to refer to as HRV for the rest of this. It's basically, it's not your resting heart rate. A lot of people get those two confused. And what it is, is it's the variation between beats of your heart. So I, I mentioned this on previous episodes, if you've if you listened along. But every time your heart beats, it doesn't go steady, like one beat. So if it's, for example, my heart rate is... 60 beats a minute. That's not one beat a second. It's not boom, boom, boom. There's going to be variations. There's going to be a 0.6, a one second, a 0.9, a 1.3, down to a 0.8. It's going to be very, there's going to be a variation in that. And what heart rate variability tracks is that variation between the heartbeats to indicate whether you're in that sort of um, sympathetic fight or flight mode or parasympathetic mode, okay? And we can track this using um, a wearable device, whether it's a ring, a strap, a watch. So we track metrics in in the business. So think of what you track in your business now to monitor day to day. You know, is it income? Is it orders? Is it you know, um, billing that's due, invoicing that's due? Is it performance that you're tracking with your staff in some sort of way? You track all this data. So we need to we need to do that with our health. So there's, there's numerous ones out there. The biggest ones probably that most people will have heard of are the Apple watch, the Samsung, um, Fitbit now track HRV now, which is good, especially a lot of the new watches. I'm not sure if it's only on the higher end models, but Fitbit definitely do track it. Um, which I was actually very surprised at whenever, um, whenever my client told me that it was tracking his HRV and Garmin also track it. Now, One client asked me to point this out because I mentioned it on another podcast. Um, With the Garmin, it's only the higher-end models which track the actual HRV. So if you've got a, not a lower-end Garmin, like I've got probably what I would consider the lower-end, it doesn't track HRV. I just use it for my runs, if I'm running outside and different things, or if I don't want to wear a nice watch. And with the Garmin, it will the lower-end models will track your stress. So a lower number is obviously better. Um with the higher models they are going to track HRV, which is um, exactly the numbers that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Um, that's what we're looking for, whereas if it's a lower model, you're just going to look for a stress score, which is low. OK, so just with Garmin, it's a little bit different. Now, two of the biggest players um, and they're fighting for this sort of health tracker is Aura and Whoop. Um, there used to be um, the Amazon Halo. It's just been pulled from the market. It was basically very similar to a Fitbit in terms of how it looked. Um, and they had big plans for it. But as of last month in August, they have decided to shelve the whole project, basically. Um, so if you are using an Amazon Halo, um, I recommend you change up pretty soon because I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's all winding down. There's also the Apple Quartz project, which... Um, It's going to be interesting. I think it comes out next year and it's going to be working on how to motivate you to improve all these health scores with like games and built-in ways to sort of gamify things. So that could be very interesting, especially if they don't use the Apple Watch model of the Apple Watch tracks. You know, you you got all these text messages, emails, everything that comes through. So the battery life is terrible. on it. that's one reason why I recommend nobody uses the Apple Watch just because you'll need to charge it every single day. So you're going to have it off your wrist at some stage. Um, so it's not ideal. Um, why I choose Aura though? I've been using Aura for probably five years. Um, at the start of this year, I recently updated my Ring to their latest model. Um, I just think it's more accurate. Um, I think in terms of it, it is also a health tracker. It's not a lot of these other ones. Like Garmin is great for tracking your workouts, uh, your GPS and your runs and everything. Very very accurate. Um, Apple is probably quite quite similar too. Aura is mainly a health tracker, which also tracks a little bit of exercise. So it's going to track sleep steps. It's going to track it to a pretty high level. Now, with a watch, think about how much your watch is going to move around your wrist. Okay, I'm wearing uh, the watch my wife bought me on our wedding day right now. And it's moving on my wrist a little bit, right? So uh, when you move your your hand a lot, it might actually... um it might actually be tracking more movement than is necessary, right? Whereas with the ring, it's going to be on your finger all the time. Uh, A huge benefit of the aura is also, it only takes me like an hour a week to charge it. So I can basically have it on all the time. Um, It takes me, I I charge it at my desk. So when I'm sitting pretty much doing nothing, so it's not, um, I'm not losing out time where it's tracking my my movement and my steps or my sleep. Um, And it literally just takes that hour per week. But also, because the finger is less bony than the wrist, think about the blood flow that's probably going to be on your wrist versus your finger. There's got to be more capillaries in the finger. So as a result, you get more blood flow and you probably get more accurate readings. And in terms of tracking sleep in particular, it tracks better in terms of um, the gold standard, which is polysomnography. It tracks at around 80% from what I've read, whereas um, the other ones track about 10% less. So that's why I personally choose Aura. And if you do want to look into the Aura Ring, I'll put a link in the description box for uh, $50, $50 US dollars off the ring. I think that's a refer friend code that I can use year round. So if you are interested, you can save yourself a bit of money with that. And I don't get anything out of that. I get zero out of that. So um, but that's why I use Aura. So we can track it using the Apple Watch, Samsung Fitbit, Garmin, Aura Ring, Whoop Band. Um, my personal favorite is the Aura Ring. Um And I'm not sure which one I would put as my second favorite there. Um, But HRV is a number that we should focus on and we should focus on it in terms of our personal score. It's very individual. So I'm going to say that, you know, 30 uh, milliseconds is usually a good number to aim for on HRV because that's going to lower than that is probably going to indicate that you're very sympathetic. Um, But that's your score. Okay. My personal score ranges in the hundreds to you know, up to maybe 200, depending on how well I'm recovering. Um, That's my personal HRV balance. It, it, it goes somewhere in that range and it is going to fluctuate day to day. But what we need to focus on is if your number is below 30, for example, that that is your score. All we need to do is try to improve that over time um, and get us less stressed and recovering better rather than think about well o score is at you know 100 130 why is mine not that high the main thing is that we get where you're at now as a baseline over say, a two week period which the the ordering would take probably two weeks to work it out and then we try to improve that over time and 30 milliseconds um is usually a good number to aim for on that okay so how to improve stress now this is this is quite an interesting one um literally last week i started to watch a documentary on disney plus which chris hemsworth chris hemsworth aka thor did for national geographic it's called limitless um and it's streaming on disney plus so he was in a high stress environment obviously due to acting roles there's big big money but probably a lot a lot of stress in terms of delivering on that um he has three or four kids um and he had perfectionist traits which stem from I think it was when his parents um he was growing up his parents couldn't afford to like you know do a lot of acting stuff with him or couldn't afford a lot of things and he vowed to start to earn for them and he also has this fear that you know even though he's very successful and he's launched all these businesses he's got a fear that he's going to lose it all and he's going to go back to that scenario where he can't um he can't look after his parents and his family right so what they did in this this first episode was they put him in high stress scenarios like firefighting um where he had to go into a building with breathing apparatus on to recover uh, put out fires and recover bodies. Um he also had to walk on a huge platform on the top of the Crown Hotel in Sydney, which is one of the highest buildings in the city. It was basically like a metal walkway where he had to he got up in the lift and he had to walk out onto this rear's platform. Um and a stress specialist from the U.S. taught him how to manage his stress. And, you know, two big things was positive self-talk. There's a really good scene. I'm not going to try to spoil anything for you here with it. Um, but there's a really good scene where he's in the pool with Navy SEALs and he's doing um, some drills where he's he's essentially being subjected to to drowning where his hands and feet are bound. Extremely high stress. And he can only just kick off the floor. He can't move his hands. He can't tread water. Um so one thing was that, you know, positive self-talk. Whenever he was in that scenario, um, you know, it's very easy to get into the, I can't do this, I can't do this, which causes you to panic. Um, And the positive self-talk of, okay, I can control this. I can do this. I can do this. um, Was one tactic that this stress expert talked about. And this stress expert, like she likes doing things like this to confront your stress. And I meet it head on. Um, In terms of the firefighting one, Obviously, he had an oxygen tank on and the whole goal was to, you know, try to control his breathing with nasal breathing, deep breathing. Um, she personally did box breathing, which is four seconds in, hold it for four seconds, four seconds out, hold it for four seconds. So if you imagine yourself drawing a box with your finger now, four seconds along the top, four seconds along the side, four seconds along the bottom and four seconds along the other side, you've just drawn a box. So she the goal was to get him to box breathe in that high stress scenario um so that he uses less oxygen. If he's obviously slower breaths through his nose, he's going to use less of that oxygen tank and he can do more Now I personally don't like box breathing just simply because when I breathe in for four seconds and hold it for four seconds, um I rush the rest of it. I feel like I run out of um I run out of breath. You know, that might be a, a fitness thing, a lung capacity thing for me personally. But what I like to do is do the same four seconds, but on either side of the box, So I'm kind of making more like a, a skinny rectangle here than, than a box. So if you do four seconds, hold for one, and then you do four seconds, and then you hold for one, and then you repeat. So you're, you're still having a 10 second breath cycle through your nose rather than a 16 second one, okay? And I just think that's far more achievable for most people to do. Um. So that's breathing is one, okay? So in terms of breathing, In any high stress scenario, like somebody cutting you off, you know, your kids are at your heels wanting, you know, wanting snacks or something. And they've been, give me this, give me this, give me this. Um, A colleague sends you an email. I would just get you to take one 10 second breath. So that four second inhalation, one second hold, four second exhalation, one second hold. I would get you to do that before reacting in any scenario. And all it takes is, you know, it's a long time if somebody's in your face as well. But before reacting, normally, you won't react as heavily with that. Now, I also do that before bed when my head's on the pillow. Um, it helps me to sleep most of the time. And any known period of high stress, do some breathing. Now, cold showers is also really good in terms of when you're in your shower and you're cleaning your body and then you turn it to cold, it then is gonna, you know, it's gonna shock the body when it hits your head, it hits your shoulders. It's gonna leave you short of breath and you're basically gonna panic and go... It's going to take your breath away with the very, very cold water. Okay. See whenever you do it in the tank, whether it's a shower, whether it's actual immersion, but it forces you to learn to breathe because if you keep breathing the way you're breathing, you're not going to be in there for very long. Okay. But whenever you actually breathe and control it, and you do that controlled in- inhalation, exhalation, um, it's going to teach you to breathe. It's going to teach you to, to put yourself into that parasympathetic mode. So cold showers and cold immersion is great for improving your stress improving that uh, stress resilience as well and building that that tenacity now we also could look at meditation now meditation is a bit you know woo woo some people are into it some some people don't but if you think about meditation it's not where you're sitting cross legged and you're you're chanting kumbaya and you're humming and han um that's not the type of meditation that most people will do you know meditation is and you can do this through guided meditation with an app like calm or headspace Um, And you can have the calm has celebrities talk you through different um, scenarios as well. But basically, it's just trying to calm your mind. You know, you could call it mindfulness if you want. But basically, it's, you know, trying to focus on your breathing, focus on staying present in that moment and, you know, not getting distracted by different thoughts. Another one that we can do is journaling. Now, I personally haven't done a whole heap of it, but I know a lot of people who do and, there is benefit. And when I had, I've got two podcasts. This is basically my second one. I had uh, one, which is general fitness called the O show great name. I know. Um, but recently I had on this season, I had a sleep expert called Gary Allman on, and I'm going to give him full credit here for this. Um, and this is pretty much paraphrasing what he said, but it's a pretty direct quote. So with journaling, you don't have to start, you know, dear diary, dear, dear Gary, as as his reference was, it's not where you're like a teenage girl writing in her diary um, you don't talk about your, your day, you talk about the things that have been bothering you, and then you figure out why they bother you, where the triggers are coming from in terms of an emotional perspective, and you reframe things and ask yourself, why are these things triggering you? This allows you to be in control of your mindset and attitude over time while building an awareness of the world, rather than going through life and accepting things as things you can't change. And then Gary finished by saying, journaling is just an understanding it's just understanding a deep a level of awareness that is deeper than your current perception. So basically, it's just teaching you what's annoying you, why, and trying to remove those triggers over time by being aware of them. Now, one key thing you can probably do to avoid stress is avoid your phone, email, social media. It's a stressor. Sometimes you get a bit of dopamine from it, but you know, first thing in the morning when you wake up, you don't need to be checking your emails. You want to be doing something, whether it's really productive, creative work for your business or... Doing something for your health, like going for a walk, going to the gym, um, doing some yoga, making a nice breakfast for yourself, hydrating the body. You want to be doing that. Avoiding social media and email, and same with before bed. So what I like to do is there's an app called Opal O P A L on the iPhone, and one called One Sec, as in one second, uh, one sec on Android, and these will just block social media. So I've got it set where in this period now, where I'm creating, or I'm creating this podcast, it's six forty one in the morning um on wednesday the 6th of september hopefully it's going to come out today and i can't access if i'm if i want to go on linkedin i've got to do it on for work for work purposes obviously i've got to do it on my uh, desktop i can't use instagram instagram is terrible on the desktop so it means i'm not distracted by that and email in terms of that you know i will try to keep it to a minimum okay Same with before bed, 8.15, I try to not have access to these apps. So I'm on the sofa with my wife. Uh, If I'm doing a bit of work for whatever reason, I have to do it on the laptop. I can't do social media on my phone. I'm actually going to set it as well. So I can't check my emails or WhatsApps at that time of night. So I can literally go to bed with no notifications, nothing else in my head, apart from just getting good quality sleep. So I would avoid those stressors personally and block them using an app like Opal or OneSec. Another big thing that can limit stress is to plan your day the night before. I'll talk this about this in future with evening routines, but, you know, setting aside where you know everything you're doing during the day. Like I know that in this phase right now, I'm recording this podcast. I know that um, I'm going to have in 20 minutes time, my kids are going to be awake. I'm going to have to get them ready for school, right? I know every single part of the day that and what I'm doing in those 30 minute blocks. And I use a high performance planner to plan that out, okay? Don't put too much on your to-do list. So many of us like we want to crush tasks and get things done rather than just focus on what's the most important thing of the day. You've got a list of what you could do, what you should do, like as in, you know, you go on and you should be doing some of this and it's high priority tasks, but what you actually need to do. And so it should be like the list of 10 things that you could do, five things that you should do and what you need to do, which is one or two things. And also limiting stimulants. You know, if you've talked at any stage where the, the audio has stopped for a second here, I'm sitting drinking a coffee, right? Um, Stimulants can cause anxiety. You know, there's new, numerous stimulants around uh, coffee is probably the main one. And if you're a highly anxious person, highly stressed person, uh, stimulants can cause anxiety. You know, supplements can lower stress and get you in a parasympathetic state. Two of the biggest that I use and have used in the past and currently are magnesium and ashwagandha. And a good time to take this is, you know, post-workout, after you train to get yourself out of that fight or flight mode of, of training uh, and before bed to get you in the, into that uh, rest and digest um, feed and breed sort of state again. Okay. Now to summarize, cause this has been a lot, you know, hopefully you've taken a lot from this guys, but you know, stress is something we can track using heart rate variability, HRV on a wearable device. I personally prefer the aura ring for numerous reasons listed above. And I will put that um discount code, not the code, the referral link, um, refer a friend link, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the description box so you can save yourself $50 if you want to get one of those. Stress affects all of us whether we feel it or not, and it can impact our longevity and life expect- expectancy. It does so by affecting our nervous system and keeping us in fight-or-flight mode longer than we are built for as human beings. Our goal is to get into a parasympathetic, rest and digest, or feed and breathe mode, and strategies like breathing, journaling, meditation, and supplements can help. So we need to stop accepting stress for what it is or thinking you're not stressed. You track data in your business every single day to drive performance, and we need to do the same to drive our health and our performance. So start to track the data, guys. Manage the data. And once we know the figures, we can start to actually push you towards managing your stress a lot better. Hopefully, this has been hugely helpful, guys. This has been episode number three of the Elite Executive Podcast, covering one of the other big um, pillars, which is stress. The next two episodes, I was going to do one on time management, which is a big pillar. Um, but I think training and nutrition are going to deserve an episode each by themselves. So I'm going to do training and nutrition, and then I'll do another one with like 10 time management tips, um, later in the season. Um, I think the four, four, um, the four horsemen, I guess, which I like to use as part of the framework are, um, stress sleep training and nutrition so let's do uh, two more episodes to focus on those pillars and then we'll get guests on like i mentioned wade we're going to have caroline milne we're going to have gary allman the sleep expert that i spoke about is going to be on and other experts like matt cooney other really great coaches who are in my my circle and also a few clients have agreed to come on to talk about their experience and how they have integrated health into their daily practice to start to thrive so really looking forward to those episodes guys Thank you for listening to the Elite Executive Podcast with me, your host, Oren McCurry. And I will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into the Elite Executive Podcast with me, Oren McCurry. If you want to continue the conversation about anything in this episode, or if you have any questions around your own health as a busy executive, then the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn just go to linkedin.com forward slash executive health coach to find my profile. Once there, please send me a connection request and I'm more than happy to discuss your personal scenario. But for now, have a great day and I'll see you on the next one.